Chapter six of If Winter Don't by Barry Payne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Boydell. Chapter six. One. On his arrival at the office next morning, Luke was somewhat surprised to receive a visit in his office from Mr. Arthur Dobson. Apparently, Mr. Dobson has something on his mind. He wandered about nervously, saying incoherent things about the weather. "'Anything doing?' asked Luke. "'Nothing much. I say, I found a new place to lunch at. It's run by an Italian. Maladorato. Quite a little place. In Mud Lane. Still there it is, you know. Five courses for one and threepence. That takes some beating.' "'Stuff must be pretty bad.' "'Well, possibly, yes, but think what a lot of it you get for your money. Come and lunch there today.' "'Thanks. I've promised to go up to Gallows today to lunch with the Tyburns. "'You and your aristocratic friends, while I could tell you something, Mr. Sharper, "'I ought not to. It would have to be distinctly understood "'that you don't breathe a word about it to a soul.' "'Of course, of course.' "'Very well, then. You look at that sheet of office paper. "'Old Kane has got his name above the line, and yours and mine beneath it. "'Well, I may tell you that in a few days' time "'the only name below the line will be your own.' I'm being taken into partnership. What a damn shame. I mean to say, I congratulate you. That old blighter has been talking about taking me into the partnership for the last two years. At any rate, I have. I only talked to him about it once. You see, I happen to be the only one of us three that understands the manufacturing side. You've never been inside the factory in your life. Diggle hardly ever goes, except to make a fool of himself by some damn silly suggestion. No, he keeps to the financial side. He's got a whole pack of doubtful financial dodges, and he'll get seven years for one of them some day. All I did was to tell Diggle that I was applying for the post of manager in a certain rival firm, having had twenty years' experience here, and I asked him if he would give me a testimonial. He said, No, but I'll give you a partnership. You don't seem to get hold of the right way of doing things, Sharper. All the same, said Sharper, I'm going straight off to Diggle's room now, and I'm going to give him hell. Oh, I say, you can't do that. If he knew I told you, there'd be the very devil of a row. Oh, he won't know. I may be a high-minded sufferer, but I'm a very fair liar as well. I'll put it right for you. He entered Mr. Diggle's room. Mr. Diggle, seated with his back to him, continued the letter he was writing. Look here, said Sharper impulsively. What have you been and done with that partnership of mine? That you, Sharper? Sit down. I shall be a minute or two. I said sit down. I did not ask you to twist your feet round the legs of the chair. Refrain also from waggling your toes violently. It interrupts my train of thought. Keep the hand still, if you please. Thank you. There were three minutes of absolute silence, during which Diggle, in the most leisurely way possible, finished and blotted his letter. "'And now, Sharper,' said Diggle, "'I think you wish to say something.' "'Well, I mean to say, "'what have you been and done with my partnership?' "'I was not aware you had one.' "'No, but you promised me, "'and now you've gone and given it to Dobson.' "'I promise you nothing, "'and that, I think, is what you've got. "'Dobson is very gravely in error "'in telling you anything at all about it. "'If you will kindly send him in here, "'I will speak to him on the subject.' 
Dobson never said a single word about it. I'll take my Bible oath he never did. He came into my room and began to speak in rather a dictatorial way, and I said, You might be a partner. And he blushed. I do not think so, said Diggle. Dobson does not blush. If he did blush, it could not show on that complexion. But on my word of honour he did. White-faced men blush red, red-faced men blush purple. Any man of science will tell you that. The appointment of the partnership is entirely within my discretion. It has nothing to do with you. If you have nothing further to say, I need not detain you. I have a lot more to say, only I can't think of it. I never can, but it's there inside my head. On the letter paper, you and he will have your names above the line, and mine will be below it. That merely shows that I know where to draw the line. I wish you did. It's not for myself or mine so much. It's those dear little books of mine, all bound in lilac morocco, sitting down. It's just as if they were slighted. If this kind of thing goes on, I shan't play any more. I'm not asking you to, but you can return to your work. And you remind me, I have had a bill from the binders of those books sent into the firm's account. I have explained that this should be charged to your private account. You will get it in due course. Close the door quietly, please, as you go out. On his way back to his own room, Luke again encountered Arthur Dobson. It's all right, said Luke. I said you didn't tell me, but had given it away by blushing when I chanced to speak of it. Couldn't you have thought of a better one than that? Oh, it's all right, and I don't mind telling you I've given him a pretty good dressing down. I let him have the rough side of my tongue. Ah, said Dobson, now that really is something like a lie. Luke went back to his own room and sat there in deep thought. Why was everybody so hard and cold? Diggle, Dobson, Mabel. They were all so cruel and rude to him. Nobody loved him, except Dot and Dash, and possibly... No, that was not to be thought of. All the same... It reminded him that it was time for him to brush his hair and wash his little hands and go up to lunch at Gallows. 2. It was a large luncheon party, for Gallows was full of guests. Everybody was very merry and bright except Luke. Tyburn was specially elated, for his little drive with the zebras had only cost thirteen hundred altogether. There had apparently been a terrific rag the night before, while the guests were at dinner, Tyburn arranged for a number of wild beasts to be brought up from the mammoth circus. One was put into the bedroom of each guest to greet him or her on going to bed. No, there had been no real damage done. One of the lions had fainted. It had been given sal volatile and had recovered. Only three of the animals and two of the guests were missing, and one of the guests was a bishop who had never been really wanted. Jonah told the whole story hilariously. Why was it, Luke asked himself, that she was always so merry and bright with others, and so very different when she was with him? Could it be that she wore a mask to the rest of the world, and disclosed her real self only to him? It could. It could also be just the other way round. That was the annoying part of it. He was depressed during lunch, the story of Tyburn's practical joke of the previous evening had upset him. He did not like these practical jokes. He was nervous. He felt that at any moment, at a preconcerted signal, the table might blow up, 
or the ceiling fall down. Everybody else would laugh, and he would hate it. He seldom laughed at anything anybody else laughed at, though he enjoyed some little jokes of his own that nobody else seemed to appreciate, especially Mabel. She seemed to be enjoying herself at the other side of the table, laughing at the stories that Major Capstan was telling her. From the Major's expression, Luke diagnosed that the stories were not quite, well, not exactly, oh, you know. Would it be Doom Dagshaw or Major Capstan? Oh, what was he thinking of? Why had he not been put next to Jonah? Why did the girl on his right, whom he had never met before, persist in addressing him as funny face? Why is a mouse when it spins? The world was full of conundrums. In the garden after lunch, Jonah came straight up to him. We are going to play games, she said. What games? Well, this morning we played leapfrog down the stairs. That was a little idea of Bill's. Luke had noticed at lunch that two of the guests wore sticking plaster on their noses. This explained it. I don't think I should like playing leapfrog, he said. I sometimes play at boats with Dot. We'll play at hide-and-seek, said Jonah. You and I will hide together. Come along. They hid in the cool dusk of the tool shed. Jonah sat on the wheelbarrow and talked and talked and talked. At the end of half an hour, Luke had failed to ask what she had meant by certain things on the day that she had called at his office. He made rather a speciality of not being able to say anything that he particularly wanted to say. He said, It's funny they have not found us yet. Not so very funny, said Jonah. You see, I forgot to tell any of them that we were going to play this game. Here's one of the gardeners coming. Damn! I suppose we'd better join the rest of the crowd. It was not until Mabel and Luke were leaving that Luke got a chance of another word with Jonah. We are leaving for town tomorrow, said Jonah. You'll write and tell me everything that's in your old head, won't you? Luke felt that he ought not to write. Mabel would not like it. It would be wrong. Thanks, he said. We so seldom have any postage stamps in the house, and I have lost my anoto pen, and I sprained my wrist falling off my bicycle. Oh, do write, Lukey dear. She held out her hand to him. Goodbye, he said and ran down the steps. At the bottom of the steps stood the cab, an interesting antique which was to convey Mabel home. Mabel and Major Capstan were waiting near the door. "'You only took about twenty minutes saying goodbye to Lady Tyburn,' said Mabel. "'I'm giving Major Capstan a lift. If you think it's fair on the horse to ask it to draw the three of us, get in, of course. Otherwise, it's beautiful weather for a nice walk.' I will walk, said Luke. I prefer it. He wished to be alone. He sat down on the first milestone in the road and meditated with his head in his hands. Mabel, his wife, he was very good to her. He had been perfectly faithful to her. And was it worth while? What did she think about him? How much did she care for him? There were two men after her. He seemed to visualise the situation as a scrap from the stock press of a newspaper. One, Mabel. Two, Doom. Three, Capstan. Also ran, Luke Sharper, Esquire. Three.
He recalled some of the things Jonah had said to him in the tool shed. She had been rather frank in speaking of her husband. "'Bill's wonderful,' she said. "'He caught the tiger last night when the keeper couldn't get it. "'He does everything well. "'He's the most fascinating man in the world until you get used to him. "'I've got used to him. "'He fascinates all women. "'That would not matter so much, but nearly all women fascinate him. "'I pretend not to notice it. "'I think he does it partly to see how I will take it. "'I remain merry and bright.' with a breaking heart, you understand. How much longer I shall be able to stand it, I do not know. Oh, my hands are so cold. He'd noticed a pair of the gardener's gloves lying in the lawnmower. He handed them to her. She flung them away, a little petulantly, it seemed to him. He rose from the milestone and walked on. Certain words seemed to keep time with his footsteps. She wants me to write to her, and I ought not. She wants me to write to her, and I ought not. He passed the post office and turned back to it again, went on and again turned back. This time he entered with his mind all bemused. Have you any nice stamps? he asked. End of chapter 6